Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Welcome, welcome. So I'm going to do things a little bit differently for the next few weeks. In fact, we're going to um, divert from the Torah Parsha and talk about life after death from the Bible. I'm really excited to invite my friend and teacher, Jeremy, from La Duke University. I love saying that to come on up here and um, take a seat with me. And we're going to spend some time with you today going through the word of Yahweh. Good to see you, brother. Shabbat shalom. Good to see you, too. There's so many many misconceptions out there when it comes to life and death. How many of you have gone to a funeral and you're, you're sitting there and the pastor or the rabbi or... Even, even somebody, it's oftentimes in a secular setting. They're not, not even in any type of ministry. And they give you this song and dance about old Joe and how he's up in heaven. And you're thinking, I know how old Joe used to live, you know. And, and, you're, and, you're, and, and it all sounds so familiar. But quite honestly, if politicians are talking about people going up and flying around in heaven, pastors are talking about people going in heaven then you may want to question whether that is really so. Because the one that really does matter, whose words really do count, said, nobody has ascended into heaven. But the Son of Man who has descended. So his words trump the words of the occultists, the politicians, and the lay person, and the pastors and the rabbis, because ultimately we need to follow what his word says. What we're going to find out is we live in a topsy-turvy world, where ultimately, look at the occult architecture in some of these big, big cities, Washington, D.C., the city of London, the Vatican, where we see the the all-seeing eye controlling not only the military, the finances, and the religion. But what we come to find out is that the occult really does control a lot of the thoughts of the people, whether it be the currency, the religion, or the wars that we're in, where they tell you what is up is down, what is black is really white. And what we're going to come to discover as we go into the Word and we look at life, death, and who we really are, is that the world is telling us something that is simply simply not true. So I'm excited to spend these next four weeks going through this very, very in-depth subject. So without further ado, I'm going to hand it over to Jeremy. He's going to take us through and uh, we're going to have a conversation about life and death. Okay? All right. Well, I'm happy to be here and, and being able to share this stuff with you guys. Um, we're going to talk about um, life and death, but we're also, over the next few weeks, going to cover heaven and hell, the millennial kingdom, the resurrection, judgment, new heaven, new earth, all that big picture stuff, and wrap it into, I hope uh, we can give a great gospel presentation as well in the midst of all of that, because really all of these things tie into the gospel message, and I think... And my goal here really is to give you a um, a really um, a big slice of how important 
life and death, at least this week, how life and death really are essential to that gospel message and understanding what they are. And I hope it's going to really give you um, a passion for sharing the gospel with, with this understanding, because I know a lot of us, when we get in the Hebrew roots and, and the Messianic movement and all that, that we tend to kind of step away from sharing the gospel as much, and we're not quite, maybe quite sure what that is anymore or whatever, and, and, and even with the millennium and all that stuff. So anyway, we're going to jump right into the basics uh, what is uh, life and the soul, and, and who, who are we? So really, what you're going to discover, I hope, and I've discovered this as we've gone through the word together, is that basically the message of truth, of what happens to you when you die, if that isn't being communicated to the lost, then the power of the gospel message really fails. But if you can actually communicate to them that it's not going to be quite how they think, then that message has a piercing power that is truly, truly amazing. So it really is a game changer when it comes to ministry, not only to the saved, those in various forms of religion, or those that are lost. Yeah, we do want to communicate even to the atheist or the agnostic as well the gospel message and how, how can we get through to them unless we speak uh, somewhat in their language. So the first thing we're going to address is what the Bible says about who we are. And it says that you do not have a soul, but you are a soul. And that's probably a big difference for a lot of people, or maybe it's minced with some concept of an ethereal you know, body or existence outside of who you are. But you are a soul, a living soul. And we find that in Genesis 2-7, where Yahweh says, And Yahweh formed man, Yahweh Elohim formed man, of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And some of your scriptures are going to say, um, living being, if you have like the English Standard Version or something. Um, and that's not bad either. It's not a bad way to put it. Um, but we want to we understand that we are not spirit. We're not spirit beings trapped in a body. And we're not this body either because we're going to get a new one at the resurrection, right? So we need to understand that we're not the spirit, which is the breath of life from Yahweh. Right? That's his, but we are the combination of those two ingredients. So um, if you see in, here in Genesis 2-7, it says dust of the ground is the first ingredient, and the breath of life from Yahweh, or the Spirit, is the second ingredient. And together, that brings a living soul, right? a living being. So when it's it, really turning on your head when we live in a world and it's everything's spiritual or everything's carnal. It's flesh or spirit, flesh or spirit. But that's not the reality. The reality is you are not a body. The reality is you are not a spirit. The reality is upside down to what the occult world will tell you, you are a soul. So to give you some analogies that are in the scriptures, um, you know, we saw dust and spirit is in Genesis 2-7, but elsewhere we see... uh, uh, 
a paradigm that very similar. Uh, flour, kind of like dust, right? Flour and water, like you know, spirit, right, is often a similar thing there. Together they make bread, right? And and we know that Yeshua was the the bread, and his body was broken. The bread was broken. We know these these things, but we haven't. We haven't really tied them into this concept of, you know, who we are. Um, hopefully we've got the pictures up there. Um, another one that we see in Isaiah is that Yahweh is the potter. We're the clay, right? Like he molds us. So, again, it's dirt and water. You put those together, you get like a mud or a clay, and you get this pot. And these terracotta pots, they're, they're um, inherently kind of weepy. They kind of... Over time, they actually do, like, leak water. And I don't know how many of you have ever experienced a lack of filling of the Holy Spirit. Anybody? <laughs> I, know, I know being a, a, a born-again believer that I, I often go, why am I not always filled with the Spirit? And, you know, these terracotta pots are a perfect example of that because they, they naturally weep. Just you fill it up with water, and eventually it's either going to evaporate out the top with the sun the heat of the sun, or it's just going to kind of weep through it anyway. And people use these terracotta pots for filtering water, actually. So just by the nature of being you, you're going to just you're going to leak Holy Spirit, if you will, and you kind of need to be refreshed, refreshed, yeah. constantly filled. So I'm hoping like just these analogies even kind of speak to our, our, our walk, you know, to help us understand more about this. We're the clay; he's our potter, and. So, yeah, fill me up, exactly. Um, so what makes you you if you're not a body and you're not this ethereal spirit being trapped in the body? What is a soul? Well, we know the body is not really us, it's dust, because we get a new one, right? And it's of this world, and there's like a new world coming. And Yahweh's spirit is what animates that body, it's that, that life force, Right, so it's, and and it, on on death it goes back to Yahweh as it says in Ecclesiastes. Right, so people think, oh, well, that means we go to heaven, right, on death because the spirit returns to Yahweh. But you aren't that spirit. That's Yahweh's. He gave it to you. You're a steward of it, but it's not who you are. But who you are is emotions, thoughts, actions, your experiences. Um, it is who. Who you are is how you survive life, what choices you've made, what decisions you make based on the experiences you've been given in life. So ultimately, it's this culmination of emotions, thoughts, actions, all put together. Um, that That's what's going to distinguish you from other people, right? So... I hope it's okay to use this guy's name, but there's a fella. He's a minister about my age over in Tennessee. I think he is with the Methodist Church. His name is the same as mine. He actually has a wife by the name of Sarah, just like I do. He's got two kids, son and a daughter, right? But he is not me, right? So... We we have diff- we made different choices in life and and different thoughts. I mean, I know he's a supporter of gay marriage, being part of the Methodist Church. Um, so so these types of things 
uh, you know, that's, who, that's what makes us who we are, what choices we make in this life. Right? So, what you did say is how we survive, and yeah. that, that to me is really important, is, is the decisions that we make in life, not only when you're dealing with pain, how do you survive through the pain? Mm-hmm. And the How good you, stuff too. And the good stuff too. How do you survive through love? How do you survive through children? How do you survive through marriage? So that's really key. It's the encompassing of who you are because you're not a spirit. It doesn't belong to you. It's on loan to you from Yahweh and it goes back to him. But you're not a body either. That's just going to go back to the ground because that's where it could come from. But you are a soul. So the seed of your experiences, your emotions, thoughts, and actions, and um, how you're known and distinguished you from others, that's being. You know, being is thinking, feeling, and acting, um, and the summation of those things is called character. Right? So you are your character, right? You, you're your, your name, right, out there in the world. Um, so who you are and your character is who you truly are when no one else is looking, Right? We've heard that in the church. So looking at the word Shem in Hebrew, the word for name, it actually means more than just name. It doesn't mean pronunciation. So all of the folks that are freaking out about whether it's Yahweh or Yahuwah or, you know, Yahovah or whatever, you can calm down. Because it's, it's really actually talking about reputation, fame, glory, um, the stories that are told about you. So when the scriptures say in the Torah um, that you should not have the name of other Elohim on your lips, can you even read the scriptures if that were to be taken literally? Could you say the, the verses that say Baal? Right. Or Ashtoreth? That's why the first commandment is so important. And it leads into all of the others. It's indicative. And it's, I am Yahweh, your Elohim, who delivered you from slavery from Egypt. Because that's his name. That's his fame. There's only one Elohim in the whole world that delivered a people enslaved in Egypt and delivered them out through a miracle of the parting of the Red Sea and eventually brought them into a promised land. That's his reputation. His name is fame and his glory. It's his character. So when Christianity then renumbers the Ten Commandments so that it is conveniently grouped, you miss the indicative commandment, the first and foremost, the identity of the Elohim that you serve. Because if you get rid of the first commandment, then pretty much, you know, you can serve any God you want. But there's only one Elohim that delivered a people from Egypt again. That's right. His memorial. That's his monument to us in this life. Yeah, so, that, so to take that commandment about having other Elohim on, on your lips, the name of them on your lips, it'd be more like going and making a movie about Zeus and his escapades. Right? That's actually going and telling the stories about him, his fame and his glory talking about the Greek mythology and, and, and you know, giving it some sort of fame, you know, like it was a good thing or anything like that. You know, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's giving glory or fame or renown to idols, to false right. Elohim. So 
Anyway, that's a side note, but that's just to give you a taste of what what it is that you are. You're you are who you're your character. What decisions you made, how you survived, good and, and bad things that have happened to you. So part of our role in our, our ministry is to share the fame and glory of Yod Hey Vav Hey. That's right. And that's why there is with so many of us that dig deeply into the scripture and an importance on using his name because we understand that's about sharing the monument of the one true Elohim. That's why it's so important to us. Part of that um, definition in in Strong's is also uh, a mark, a memorial of individuality by implication, honor, authority, character, um, report. Um, and that's that's an interesting bit too. We want to we want to remember this slide about the mark and character when we talk about the anti messiah and the beast. So what we're doing right now is trying to describe to you what really a soul is, what you as a soul are. And we can see this now coming into something that is more material for you to see rather than just like, oh, I'm a soul. What does that really mean? So it's you, it's who you are, but it's incorporeal, it's intangible, it's non-physical, right? Character, you can't... Grab on to honesty, right? So that's where people get confused, and you'll see it in your King James Bible or, or whatever scriptures you've got. They confuse spirit and soul. They don't. You can't grab on to honor. You can't grab on to respect. You can't grab on to obedience. You can walk these things out, but you can't grab onto them. And we live in a world where it's touchy, 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 visual, visual, visual. You see, but Yahweh, he really is turning the whole world upside down. So spirit is also incorporeal or non-tangible. But a living soul, unlike a spirit, is not without a body. So that body is the thing that... it uses to sense and experience and emote and act upon all of those things. Right? So to, ha- to, to be a soul, not to have a soul, but to be a soul is not without a body. That's why it's so integrated. Right? Without this, and this is why it's difficult to even talk about who you are without this. It, this isn't you, but it certainly is integrated, deeply integrated. And so if, it's, if it is not without a body, I want to focus on is not, not being, right? You're a living being. And if you're a living being and you're not without a body, then you aren't, right? When you're not a living soul. Now, does that make any sense? That's death, Right? I mean, it's just simple terms, right? Where to be or not to be. Right. That is the question. Yeah, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, a little side note here. Uh, It's a tangent, but I thought it was important um, to talk about the parable of the talents. Because I think this talks about kind of the purpose of life and what we're doing here and what the commandments are for. And how it ties into the soul, like who, who we are. 
and our, you know, our character. So, you know, each of these guys is, is given a specific amount, and they're each expected to give a return. Is everybody familiar with the parable of the talents? So, uh, and, and the, the one returning only what was given to him, he was given one talent, he returned exactly what was given to him. He was considered wicked, right? That seems kind of strange, actually. Um, I know a lot of um, Christian teachers, theologians, they say that uh, the talents, um, I think they, they say that that's kind of like soul winning. So you go out and you, you know, get other people saved, and, and that's, your, that's the interest you've accrued to give back to Yahweh. And I'm going to suggest something different based on a couple of other places in Scripture that I think, I think tie in. So um, if you consider the talents as maybe the first one is the life given to you, that, that's for you to steward. If you were only to, to return what was given to you, your life, it's not yours to begin with. Right? So you have nothing at the end. Right? That's why it's kind of important to have more. Right? To ha- so to if, you just, if you just spend your life focusing on spiritual things, and that's where you get a lot of this Near Eastern and Mid-Eastern spirituality, or you could be like Arnold Schwarzenegger and spend your life focusing on perfecting your body, then what have you really done? They weren't yours anyway. The body's going back to the ground, so you spent all your time perfecting the body. And the spirit, it's not even yours, it's going back to Yahweh. Nothing. Wickedness. Just pure wickedness. And that's the world we live in, isn't it? It's all about your body, your body image. Or let's go to India and let's go and... um, Talk about self and myself and my spirituality. Let's go and do some yoga and let's go and do some of the... I mean, seriously, but that's the world in a new age world is either spirit or the carnal realm is the flesh. Nothing. You've got nothing. Your life, your talent, zero. But the soul, when you understand that you are a soul, that your talents is based upon what? Everything that we've talked so thus far. That's a game changer. Yeah. Turning your reality upside down. Yeah, we're, I mean, if you were going to give what you were given to begin with, then you really are an unprofitable servant, as he says, with the master's possessions. He's stewarded you the breath of life, and you've done what with it? Why should you be given any more later, as the other guys in the, in the parable do? So instead of considering the talents, uh, the extra talents as soul winning um, for, for Messiah, I'm going to suggest that it has to do with another parable that the Messiah talks about. Um, well, actually, another, it's just another story he's, he's talking about with regard, regards to the rich young ruler and treasures in heaven. So, I don't know. Do we need to read? Do we need to read that? I think I've most got... people are familiar with the rich young ruler. He, Hopefully, he, if not, it's in Matthew nineteen sixteen. He basically says, "You know, what shall I do to get eternal life?" This is the answer, like right that everybody should be asking. Um, and he says, "If you will enter into eternal life, 
keep the commandments, right? Well, that's legalism. We don't want to get into that. Um, and he actually says, I've kept all these things from my youth. Um, but then Yeshua answers him and says, but if you'll be perfect, go and sell everything that you have and give it to the poor, and then you'll have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That, that's a game changer. He just told you that the, the answer is not keeping the commandments alone, but actually that you need to have treasure in heaven. So it's really essential to kind of try to figure out what that treasure in heaven is, to, in my estimation. So um, Matthew, you've actually talked about this before with regard to there being these three positions, um, negative, neutral, and positive. And, and we've in talked refle- about this before. Yeah, in reflection to commandment keeping. Right? Yeah, so there's those Ten Commandments. And, you know, of course, we all know thou shalt not murder, right? That's, that's a given. But is, if it's living out the commandments, it's fulfilling the commandments as Yeshua did, right? And he's the character of Yahweh here on earth. That's, how, that's why he's a soul, Versus just an ethereal being that looks like a, a human or whatever. He's actually just like us. Um, but is it is it okay to just say that he was just a non-murderer or a non-thief? I mean, that doesn't that doesn't really glorify Yahweh at all, right? So to to keep the commandments is like neutral. Like you don't want to get into the negative. I'm a murderer, right over here, but. Really, how much better is just keeping the commandments and being a non-thief? Is there anything to be proud of? We know so many people that don't know Yeshua that they're good, moral people. They don't commit adultery. They're faithful to their spouse. They don't steal. And they're not going around killing any people. So how does that make us decidedly different? You see, and that was the question I always had back in the church, you know. Is it's like, how are we different than the moral heathen. I mean, if we're followers of Yeshua, we need to be decidedly different than the moral heathen. What makes us decidedly different? Well, it goes back again to shifting out of neutral and now going into positive, and that all wraps around Yahweh and the first commandment. So, yeah. So, if we tie that into Yeshua being the fulfillment of the law in love, and we look at the Ten Commandments, and we go, okay, here's what we're not supposed to do. What is, what is Yeshua doing to actually typify Yahweh's character for us as an example? He's not, not murdering. He's raising the dead, right? He's actually doing something in the positive. He's not just not stealing, right? He's actually producing fish and bread in baskets to feed four and five thousand right so that's that's a game changer and what's the purpose of that for i mean for us is to see the character of yahweh lived out in a human being but again again what's the kind of the purpose of that for for us it's not only to build i believe treasures in heaven to build up your character to say okay it, it takes effort i mean i have a generational curse of thieving, right? My, my dad was wanted by the FBI for robbing a train. Get down. We need to... <laughs> and he still, you know, he said, he, he's confessed today. He still, he still has trouble 
you know, seeing something kind of just sitting over there. And, you know, as a believer, just his thought is, you know, hey, that, that's been left out. And nobody's looking, you know. But he has to check himself, right? And I had the same problem growing up. I, 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 won't conf- I won't confess that on the live stream. But I've been a, I've been a pirate. A pirate. Okay. Been a pirate. Um, in, in regards to stealing software, and, and I built my entire company up on that, and and it's, you know, I repented, and it cost me a, a big chunk of money to, to get out of that. But um, but just to say, it, I know I know what it takes to go from the negative to commandment keeping, and I had a repentance moment where I was on my face and, and bawling my eyes out just to hear the, the spirit, and it's still a struggle for me today to open my hand and be giving, right? That's different. Generosity is different than just not stealing. But you have to move through that. I mean, look at Yeshua. He, I mean, he wasn't a fornicator and he didn't commit adultery. That would be neutral. But he went and he interceded for the adulterous woman. And he provided her life. You see how he goes from neutral into positive. You see, he's actually producing life. It's amazing. Yeah. So, I mean, just to be a non-murderer, you know, the opposite, the, the law fulfiller is someone who gives life, maybe even resurrects the dead, right? Like we, we do have that, uh, that option once we're filled with the spirit. Um, there's not committing adultery, but what's the opposite of that? It's being ever faithful, to Yahweh, to your spouse, to you know, whoever, to whoever you've given a commitment to. Um, maybe it's a contract or something, you know. No, I don't want to jump ahead, but mm-hmm. what, what happens to the soul then, people are maybe asking. What happens to the soul when, am I jumping ahead? I am, way, okay, way, all right. Yeah. I'm way ahead, way all right, I'll back up. You see, I always tend to do that. So, yeah. you know. <laughs> so anyway, that should give us a little bit of an idea of, you know, what we're supposed to be doing, not just keeping the commandments, but actually fulfilling the law in love to our neighbor, to the, to the unsaved, to the lost. Why? And then we're going to get into this later in a couple of weeks, but it's to give them a taste of the kingdom. That's the whole point. So that's why you feed the hungry, because in the kingdom, there is nobody who's hungry. There is nobody who's fatherless. There is nobody who's sick. That's why you heal the sick. You know? And if we were focusing on that and understanding that our part is to be ambassadors of the kingdom and go forth and say, this is what the kingdom is like. Don't you want a part of this? Nobody is sick in the kingdom. You don't have to be homeless. You don't have to be hungry. You don't have to be fatherless. Any of those things. I mean, gosh, <laughs> like that gets me fired up to want to go share with people the the true gospel through action, like actual action. And when they ask, you know, how do I get into this kingdom? Then we can say, you know, here's, here's the message. So um, I think I skipped over one. Oh, Messiah is the goal. We've heard, we've heard that. Like he's not the end of the law. He's the goal of the law. That's what that Greek word means. And I think it's First Corinthians three nine, where Paul's talking about Messiah is the end of the law, as it says in the King James. Right. He is the goal. That's what we're aiming for. And skip 
on Thursday really, he did us a huge favor by touching on a lot of these things and just laying some foundation for us. But um, he, he brings us to the finish line. And then you've got to go that next step, right? He can take you there, but then there's something else after it. And that's that treasure in heaven bit. You don't have to worry about... You don't have to worry about now when you accept Messiah, everlasting life. You've got that in the bank. But how how are you going to how are you going to live in the next world? Are you going to be the least in the kingdom or the greatest in the kingdom? So from there, it's working out your faith as a co-laborer, as Paul says, building a future tabernacle. Which you know we have one now, but there's one that. We get in the future that Paul says, at least it seems to say to me, that you get to be a co-laborer with Messiah in building that tabernacle. That, maybe that's that next body is what I'm saying, <laughs> to mm-hmm. be blunt. So in 1 Corinthians 3.11, I just wanted to kind of walk through that verse to tie it into this parable of, of the talents. For we are laborers together with Yahweh, You are Yahweh's husbandry. You are Yahweh's building. According to the favor of Yahweh which is given unto me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds thereon. But let every man take heed how he builds thereon. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Yeshua the Messiah. Now, if any man build upon the foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work and what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire." Building up the soul. Yeah, I mean, I, don't, the soul. I haven't read it that way in the past in my, in, my, in my days in the church. But having this understanding of the parable of the talents and the soul, I'm going, oh, man, he's telling me something about the next world here. And so we have a slide that just, or a series of slides. I'm, I'm going to go peek. Here we go. There's a, there's a grave. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the next one is Messiah paved over the top of that grave. Right? He's the foundation and the next one is a is a house, a tabernacle. But this one's built out of hay, wood, and stubble, right? So the, you're going to be tried by fire, right? So you might end up just dust. But hey, you know what? You're not going to be dead. You'll just be a pile of, a pile of dust. You'll be saved so as by fire, you know. So just to kind of touch on a little bit um, what, the, what the prophets say in, in, in regards to this as well. In Malachi 3.2, it says, But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? For he is a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. So if you're talking about we're gold, silver, precious stones, then a refiner's fire is actually a good thing. It gets all the dross out. So you end up with pure gold, pure silver. With regard to fuller soap, you know, that's kind of an old 
saying. I don't know if many people know the history of that. Shall I get into it? Yeah, yeah it's good. <laughs> so it talks about urine and everything. Yeah. So yeah. back in the day, in, in even Roman days, a fuller was somebody who collected urine. It was actually a commodity back then. So if you've got the last name um, Fuller. They would collect urine. It was a commodity. It was for the ammonia, and they put it in big vats. And the f- When the stock market goes, you see, there's a lot of other jobs out there for yeah. you. There's a lot of commodities that you could be investing in. Well, they would take those soiled garments, they'd put them in the vat, and then they'd have that's people. Where, that's where we get the term in England, the rag and bone men. Yeah. See, they would go around and they would collect the rags and the, from the bones of people that had died, you know, because they had nothing but to piss in a pot. There you go. I'm serious. So, probably the least in the kingdom were the guys who would, you know, step on the clothes in the vat of ammonia or urine, and and actually that would end up whitening those clothes. It sounds strange, but that's how they did it back then, and that's what Fuller's soap is. And actually, it's kind of interesting because it it is speaking about a specific thing being crushed underfoot to be whitened. So it's actually you know. All of these things are just about purification, and yeah, it goes through some nasty stuff to get there, but, you know. <laughs> so, that kind of brings us to uh, death. We've talked about life, and then uh, maybe becoming ashes. So, um, dead is, this is going to be maybe a shocker for some of you, dead is dead is dead. That's it. It's dead. When you're dead, you're dead. I actually listened to, like, it was like a 36-hour sermon on life and death. And probably about 34 hours was the guy just saying, dead is dead. Dead is dead. (laughs) So I got it drilled into me, and I thought I'd help drill it into you guys. Dead is dead. It says in Genesis 3.19... In the sweat of thy face shall you eat bread till you return unto the ground. For out of it was, were you taken. For dust you are, and to dust you, you, not your body, you shall return. Ezekiel 18.4 says, Behold, all souls are mine, and the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sins, it shall die. Right? The soul dies. It's not immortal. Right, what the Catholic Church is saying, not true. That's that's actually taken from Greek Hellenism, yeah, the immortal soul. Yeah, that's, and that's what you find in a lot of the New Age religions is they talk about the immortal soul, which simply is not true that the Scripture testifies to. And it does. It's it's a, it's a part of that concept, that spiritism, if you will, of thinking that the soul is this ethereal. Body that's you know trapped in, you know trapped in this fleshly body, and then it goes on to live in an ethereal world somewhere else. You know that's all Greek. That's all Greek mythology. Um, I don't know how many know this, but at the time of Yeshua, they had gone through hundreds of years of Hellenization. They loved Hellenization. The the Jewish people, they loved it to to a point where, uh, I think you've talked about this quite a bit, where they have. Their, their high priest sold them out and was like, yeah, let's build a gymnasium. 
you know, have naked guys running around and undo the circumcision and all that, you know. That's the high priest. Like, that's, wait, he's supposed to be the holy guy, right? So in, in Ecclesiastes 12.7, it also says, then shall, this is the exact opposite of what we saw in Genesis 2, uh, the formula that creates a living soul. This is what happens when you die. Then, the sh- the, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto Elohim who gave it. Right? It goes back up to him. The dust goes back to earth. And maybe we've got a next slide that says a living soul minus the breath of life equals dust. Right? <laughs> yeah. For dust you are, and dust you shall return. The next one is, again, the, the slide that shows uh, you know, similar. You take, you take one of the ingredients away, right, and you're not left with the bread anymore, right? If you took the water out of the ingredients list, you just have flour and maybe some, some yeast and stuff. So I hope that's oh, this sinking is, in. Yeah, Ecclesiastes 12.6. This is such a great scripture. Yeah, so he's getting into some specifics. I know people have... Um, Taken, you, taken, can, you can hyper-spiritualize this. You can, yeah. And that's the thing. Again, you get... And this is, this is... I think this is the real danger that I just want to talk on a little bit is many of us have come out of the Christian church and you see this hyper-spiritualization. And we can talk, about, talk to our friends about the commandments of Yahweh and they hyper-spiritualize away the commandments of Yahweh. What is the danger of that? It's just as dangerous than hyper-carnalizing the commandments of Yahweh, is it not? It's the same danger. You see, Christian spiritualization of the spoken words means what? It's an endeavoring to add to something which isn't yours in the first place, right? You're endeavoring to add to something to yours that isn't even yours in the first place. His word. The Spirit, you're getting all spiritual, but the Spirit doesn't even belong to you. It's going back to Yahweh. What you really need to be doing is what? Looking at yourself as a soul, which means taking upon the name, character, fame of Yahweh in your life by moving out of a neutral position into a positive commandment-keeping position. That actually does add to your soul. That does add to your soul, meaning you're living who you're really created to be. It's amazing. And I think that's the big danger um, with the, the hyper-Christian spiritualization of the commandments of Yahweh. You end up, what? Burying your talent. You end up burying your talent by not walking out his literal word. You're not walking out his name, his fame, and his glory. And you said something about bearing his image, and, and that, that just reminded me of that, uh, that question that Yeshua has given about wh- whether we should pay taxes or not. And he said, oh, give me a coin, and let me, let me take a look at whose images that have on it. And it's, oh, that's Caesar's. Well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And then he just flips it on its head, and he starts talking about something completely different. And he's like, render unto Elohim what is Elohim's. And who bears the image of Elohim? We do. Yeah. We're to render ourselves unto him. That, I mean, that was his message. Give the fleshly, stuff, give the fleshly stuff to Caesar. Yeah. The spiritual stuff or the hyper-spiritualization, well, that's, that's not going to do you no good. You can hyper-spiritualize away the commandments till you're blue in the face. It's not going to help you in the kingdom. 
Give unto Yahweh what is Yahweh's, the soul. Start walking out his name, fame, and glory to the nations. And then if you look at the occult of it all, the occult of it all is upside down because the reality is we should be what? Shaping our character. Which is what? We should be shaping our thoughts. We should be shaping our actions. We should be shaping what? Our very deeds. But the occult, what do we see? We see obelisks. We see steeples. We see Masonic lodges. We see liberal libraries and universities. And all of that is what? Either the fleshly or the spiritual realm. It's not walking out or endeavoring to build a talent. So back to Ecclesiastes 12.6. This is great. Yeah, 12.6 and, and 7. Um, Solomon is, or the preacher, whoever wrote this, is, uh, is saying something about our physical being here. He's saying, or ever the silver cord, the spinal cord, be loosened, or the golden bowl or the skull be broken, or the pitcher be broken at the fountain, like the heart, or the wheel broken at the cistern, the circulation or the pulse, then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to Elohim who gave it. That's the full full bit. So if you unplug any of that integrated system, spinal cord, skull, heart, pulse, then what? You're dead. You're dead. You're dead. Dead is dead. Dead is dead is dead. I had some notes actually on each of those. The spinal cord is the spinal marrow, which may be called a cord for the length of it, as well as what arises from it, uh, a silver cord from the color of it. The golden bowl, and this maybe helps understand why I have put these words up there to say spinal cord and skull and, and whatnot. Golden bowl. This comes from commentary. What other uh, folks have, have determined he, he meant. Um, the targum renders golden bowl. It's the top of the head. Um, the midrash interprets it as the skull. Uh, the fountain is meant the heart or the fountain of life. Uh, the cistern, which is the left ventricle of the heart, which I can't read that word, which is by its diastole. Diastole? Any doctors in the house? Diastole receives the blood brought to it by the lungs as a cistern receives water into it, cause, it uh, cause the circulation of the blood. Nothing mystical about it. I know people will attach that silver cord. Um, in fact, I think you sent me a little clip about that. And the guy, that, I think it was a Christian commentator or author or something that was talking about the silver cord being... Um, what connects you in your in your spirit body mm-hmm. to Elohim and and that I mean this is what the New Age teach as far as astral projection and things like that. If you could just you know you, you can you can go out there and you can astral project and and see all this stuff, but as long as that silver cord's connected, you know, to you, you know, you, you can come back, you know. And then if you snip it, you know, I guess you're dead or something. I don't know. I don't really understand it. But anyway, getting back to the basics, soul means being. Being is living, is alive, and the opposite of that is not being, not living. Dead is dead, is dead, is dead. 
So that begs the question. Oh, that was the question I was asking. <laughs> that begs the question, where do we go when we die? So let's just talk about a light bulb as an analogy. If you were considered the bulb as your body and the electricity is the spirit from the electric company, Yahweh, you would then be the light that emanates from the bulb. So when the body is broken, when the bulb is broken, the light goes out. Where does the light go? It's gone. As a cloud is consumed away and vanishes away, so he that goes down to the grave shall come up no more. That's Job 7, 9, speaking about what happens at death. Vanish. You are the light. Right? We're, talk- we're talked about being the light all over the scriptures. And to give it some you know, modern day analogy. So if you crack the bulb, the body, or you unplug and the, the spirit. The electricity goes back to the power company. That's it. Then, then where does the light go? It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that's a game changer for a lot of folks, I think. Because that's, that's it. I mean, that's it. And that should be it. That should be the way that, that we understand and communicate it. Because if, if we're talking to an atheist, they already know this. That's the end. They, death is the end. They don't have to be coerced by you know, some otherworldly thing. And we'll get into that. But just to talk about other, other worldviews that are out there, the gospel has to be able to communicate to them. It has to be able to reach people who don't have the same concepts of what maybe the next life is like or even that there is one. So we have to be able to, we have to, be able to level with them. And to understand that death is death is death. Yahweh inherently gave us a fear of death. Nobody really wants to die. And there's you know, some, some cases you know, where that's not true. But uh, ultimately, I had a friend who was an atheist that I worked with a few years back, and he became an agnostic after he was robbed at gunpoint. The guy put a gun to his head, and he found himself saying, praying and and asking God for help, right? (laughs) And he didn't, he was an honest honest fellow, and he really thought to himself, why am I doing this? There must be some inherent thing within me that has to reach out because he wasn't raised in any And Jeremy's not advocating that you go around and, and hold a gun to no. your atheist. I mean, we're not... Okay. No, yeah, no. I that's mean, not the way we want to share the kingdom. That's okay. <laughs> so we're talking about the gospel and, you know, I know... Anyway, just wanted to clarify Yes, that. yes. Because we've got you. an internet audience. We you do. Know, you know, they take things a little they too do, literally. Oh. Yeah. But come on, brother. I mean, we've got some weird stuff behind us here. I read some uh, comments from last last time I was here, just last night. Oh, bad okay. idea! Bad yeah, yeah, idea. yeah. I don't, I don't listen. Uh, there was some, Facebook is mean. Facebook is mean. Anyway, uh, we'll move on to uh, the the Psalms thirty seven twenty. David talks about this, but the wicked shall perish, and the enemies of Yahweh shall be as the fat of lambs. They shall consume. Into smoke shall they consume away. I don't think he's just being poetic. Like there's so many places in the scriptures that talk about 
fire and smoke and ashes and you're dead. Mm-hmm. Right? Ecclesiastes 3.19 says, For that which befalls the sons of men befalls beasts. Even one thing befalls them as one dies, so does the other. Yes, they all have one breath so that a man has no preeminence above a beast for all his vanity. It's just to kind of say, you know what, they're living creatures too, we're living creatures. Death is death is death. The way that you know that they die, you die as well. Nothing special about it. You know, we don't have some special situation with us that allows us to go straight to heaven and they just, you know, turn to dust or, you know, I don't know, my wife wants to believe that dogs are in heaven because she loves her dogs. Yeah, yeah. A lot so. of people get hung up on the dogs in heaven. Business, and honey, they, they? They, they do. They do go to heaven. All dogs go to heaven. Except chihuahuas. <laughs> that might be true. They definitely do. They go to hell. <laughs> it's true. They do go to hell. We'll prove that later. My daughter is looking really concerned. <laughs> Psalm uh, 146, 2 uh, through 4 says, While I live, will I praise Yahweh. I will sing praises unto Elohim while I have any being. Put not your trust in princes, nor in the Son of Man, in whom there is no help. His breath goes forth. He returns to his earth. In that very day, his thoughts perish. Mm. I mean, you've got to really think about what perish means. It's not going to another place. It's gone, right? It's dead. That is that is dead. There's so many of these, and, and part of the reason I'm going through some, just a handful of these is just to kind of show you the, um, the, 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 I don't know, the differences, the different places you can find. I mean, there's so many. I, I, I have so many slides. We had to break it up into four teachings, guys. So um, I had to cut them all down, and, and you know, you're going to have to go do some word searches on these. But look up Parish. Go find out what it says about it. It's it's incredible. Um, let Elohim arise, Psalm sixty-eight. Let his enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate him flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so drive them away as wax melteth before the fire. I love that. It's so poetic. So let the wicked perish at the presence of Elohim. Man, I mean, a lot of people are waiting for his coming, right? But they have no idea what's in store, right? They haven't read some of these verses. Um, for, you know, for the believer, it's, a, it's an incredible thing, right? Hit that, that fire is a refining fire for us. But it is not good for those that are not in him. Um, this brings us kind of, kind of the gospel message and, and the promise in John 3.16 where it says, For Yahweh so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes on him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's the choice. That's the choice. It's, it's not everlasting life in the good place or everlasting life in the bad place. It's everlasting life or death. Perish, poof, ashes under the feet, forever, done. That's it. That's it. Yeah. That should strike. 
into the hearts of everyone just fear because we know everybody knows they're going to die. Everybody. I've, I've had so many conversations with um, people that don't believe in Yahweh, and you know, and they'll say, "Well, I don't mind if 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 I if I'm going to hell, then that's where I go to live, and that's where all my friends will be." And you and you may hear that conversation because to them they don't take it seriously. To them, it's what life after death it's just where all their friends are going to be anyway it is not going to put in and instill the fear of yahweh but when you say everlasting life perish but there's something that we're going to discover as we go through this teaching that we'll all have to face and and if you really just think about the the communicating this with an atheist or or buddhist or whoever everybody knows they're going to die there's no theological debates you have to have with anybody. You don't have to bring up any uh, scripture and beat them over the head with the Bible and say, you know, look, you know, here, you know, this thing that you don't believe in, you need to, you know. You can communicate the gospel message by showing them what they already know to be true. You're going to die, man. Doesn't that concern you? Aren't you concerned that you are not going to live? And most people who are honest, they'll say, yeah, it does. It really does. And the ones who aren't, you know, whatever, they're not ready to even hear the gospel message. You know, if they're saying, oh, well, you know, I'll be with all my friends and hell, we'll have a big party. Mm-hmm. You, you can move along. That guy's not even receptive. And oftentimes, my favorite way of sharing the gospel is actually going through the Ten Commandments and convicting their soul with their own sin, right? Make them confess their own sin. It's called the way of the master method. I mean, you've heard it with Kirk Cameron mm-hmm. and all those guys. They have a lot of other theological things I don't agree with, but they really do um, nail the Ten Commandment gospel law message to, to really drive home, hey, you know, you're a sinner just like I am, and you're going to die. Doesn't that concern you? So I guess now we get into the objections a bit. I guess people always ask, like, what about, what about Adam? Didn't he spiritually die? Because he didn't, he certainly didn't die the day that he ate of the tree, right? So he must have spiritually died, which, you know, is kind of how we get to this point of well, he, 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 he must have had some spirit being that I don't know died, and and then and then he had to have a new one later. Or I, I don't even know how the the I don't even know how the doctrine goes anymore. It's so far removed for me. But a, a good explanation for that is to just, and we're going to get into the details of it later um, in these next following weeks, is that he died within that thousand years. You know, a day is as a thousand years. He died within that thousand years, and 900 and some odd years he died. But he died, right? He just, that was, that was it for him. When he ate of the fruit, he now was accepting that, punishment, if you will, but it didn't culminate until 900 and some odd years later. So we don't have to get into the spiritism that's associated with this spiritual death. There's nowhere in the Bible where it says spiritual death. Nowhere. There's no concept of that. Spirit is the life force, right? You can't have spirit death. It's like jumbo shrimp. Or military intelligence. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, death is final, but there, but you know, all of us, well, you know, honest we know Hillary Clinton. 
Honest Hillary Clinton, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So, you know, as believers, we know that there is more. Death is final, but there's more. But it's important for us to understand that it is final. When you die, you're dead. You're not going to heaven. And you're not going to hell either. You're just going to be dust, right? The light, where does it go? It's just poof. It's just gone. So that's why the Bible talks about death as sleep. Because we know as believers that it's temporary. Yes, you, you don't exist technically, right? When you die, you cease being, right? You're not being anymore. You're, you're not, right? So, but we know that there's a resurrection as believers. So that's why the scriptures always talk about it in terms of sleep because you're going down and you're going to come back up again. So we look at First Thessalonians 4.13, talk about that. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. They have no hope in the resurrection. They don't understand that there's even a resurrection, that, that, that the dead will live again. It's promised by the one who demonstrated power over life and death. Right? And this is key, I think, to ministry and evangelism too, is that when we can explain to the heathen, to those that are lost, agnostic or atheist, that when we die, we all cease to exist. We're dead. But also, whether you're agnostic or a believer in Yeshua, everybody, everybody is going to be raised from the dead. That's scary. That is scary. That's scary. That is scary to the lost. Yes, we're all going to be raised from the dead then what happens at the resurrection is determined upon the soul which is remembered by Yahweh because he's El Shaddai you see when the spirit goes back to Yahweh and the body goes back to the ground in death the soul goes into Yahweh's memory or El Shaddai, his breast, his seat of emotion, where he can recall it up at the resurrection. But it ceased to exist because actually, you see, Yahweh, we're just in his memory. Because Yahweh, like we discovered the other night with Skip Moen, he does have emotion. He does have a seat of emotion. He is El Shaddai. Elohim's breast is sufficient. You see, the soul is going to go back right there. And that's not talking about soul sleep or an eternal soul. But Yahweh will recall who you and I were. And that's going to be at the resurrection. That is actually very fearful and frightening to the heathen. Yeah, we're all going to die. No, you're not going to hell. No, I'm not going to heaven. But we are both going to be resurrected. Well, I don't want to be. Well, you are going to be resurrected. You and I are going to be resurrected. The believer, the righteous and the wicked will both be resurrected. But what happens to them at that judgment seat of Messiah is decidedly different. Now Now we're communicating truth. We're communicating truth. Yeah, I think when you when you get into the gospel message, sharing th- these elements, and you say, you know, look, let's just let's just. I mean, we don't know. Neither one of us know for sure. We've never been there and back. But if if you're wrong, 
And you are raised from the dead and you're judged according to these commandments. Are you going to be found innocent or guilty? I mean, we've already talked about, hopefully in the past, when, when I do this, I share with them the law and I say, you know, have you ever stolen anything? Oh, yeah, I stole a piece of candy when I was three. You know, but I don't do that anymore. Well, you know, okay, well, what do we call somebody who steals things? They usually say uh, a stealer. A stealer, yeah. <laughs> a thief, you know. Um, have you ever lusted after somebody? That, that is what Yeshua says is adultery of the heart. Hating your brother is like murder. So everyone has been guilty of all of these things, and, and it will be no surprise that this person confesses it, but the, the goal is to get them to confess with their own mouth that they are indeed a breaker of his law, and if they were to be judged by it, would what we know about him, would you be guilty or innocent? And they're, if they're honest with themselves, they'll say guilty. And what punishment do you deserve at that point? You, do you think you get everlasting life, or do you think you get death? And the Bible says you get the second death. So, anyway... These are great, great things. So what we've looked at today, for time's sake, we're going to, like I say, split this up into a four-teaching series. But what we're looking at today is really the composition of who you and I are. That we're not a spirit, that we're not a body, that we are a soul that has a spirit for a temporary time and has a body for a temporary time. But these are all integrated together and when one of them is pulled, then you cease to exist, you go back to the dust, the spirit goes back to Yahweh, and the soul is remembered by Yahweh to recall at the resurrection. So this is very, very important for us to understand, especially when we live in a world where everything is topsy-turvy. What is black, they tell us is white. What is up, they tell us is down. You see, as humans... We truly exist within the 49th octave of vibration. We're a vibrational being. We live in this electromagnetic light spectrum. And below this range, the barely visible, we see radiant heat. Then there's invisible infrared. And there's television and we see radio waves and sound and brain waves. I mean, we live with all of these waves and Wi-Fi and everything all around us. But Yahweh has called us to understand our composition without all of this distraction around us because we need to understand our existence. We need to understand our existence and that we are in this physical form and it's an interpretation of light energy through these physical eyes that you and I have. But we're going to be opened up to the greater potential of who we are when we understand that we are a soul. We're going to be opened up to the potential. The reality is totally different. Because what we can see is we're going to be able to explore those energetic boundaries, those energetic boundaries of color, which is form. We see light. And we perceive that as our reality. But our reality is what the scripture teaches us. 
And you can even see in Yeheskel, Ezekiel chapter 28, you see the, the, the breastplate, the breastplate of the Kohen Haggadol, the high priest. That would exemplify that reality. Manifesting what? Yahweh's glory and our eventual transfiguration. You see, that's what we're to do with this body. That's what we're to do with this spirit. Is we're actually to manifest Yahweh's glory. Because eventually that's going to happen with a transfiguration when we are brought back at the resurrection. And that's the hope. That's the hope that should be within us. The hope isn't that we're going to go floating off to heaven with grandma. That is not a hope. That is not reality. You see? The hope is the resurrection and the transfiguration that's coming. It's amazing. It's going to be freedom. Freedom from what enslaves you because you're so focused on your body. You're so focused on spiritual, hyper-spiritualization. When in reality... It is taking what is neutral and turning it into the positive commandment, keeping in Yeshua the one that ultimately has raised from the dead. Questions, comments, every anybody? Everybody. Yes. 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 Absolutely. So the question was, when the soul returns to Yahweh, is there, any, is there any concept of time? Words mean things, and we don't want to mix words, right? So the soul does not return to Yahweh, right? I'm going to be very specific. I need you guys to follow along. The spirit returns to Yahweh, right? The soul is who you are, right? You right. go poof. Poof. Right? So to get into it, we actually, <clears throat> we actually have a few slides we just didn't talk about, but is it but the the question is is it conscious or not uh, i'm i'm assuming um, so if you are you are the soul and the body goes back to the ground the spirit goes back to yahweh what i was communicating and may maybe this confused confused you was that when we are brought back at the resurrection it is our character who we are and that who we are as a people as a person, an individual, that, that's in Yahweh's memory, in his seat of emotion. But that doesn't mean the soul goes back to Yahweh, it's the spirit. That right, goes so in Ecclesiastes uh, 9, 5, and 6, it says, For the living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Neither have they any more a reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. That's meaning their memory is no more. As their love and their hatred and their envy is now perished. Neither have they any more a portion forever in anything that is done under the sun. Nothing. Another, Not- quest- another question? Lazarus, we will definitely get into Lazarus, that's for sure. Not today, but that will be, that will be, of course, covered. That always comes up, as does the thief on the cross, and today I'll be with you in paradise. These things are very important to address, yes. Any other questions? Was that, was, was the thief on the cross in, in the, yeah, I thought that would be, yeah. You have to come back next week. Yes.
To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, yes. That will be addressed too, correct? Yep. Yeah, yep. we've got, definitely. Just wanted to really, today, kind of get that paradigm shift of who you and I are. We're a soul. Yes, in the back. So the descriptor, and to clarify with the meaning on the, on the talents, was really that if, if you are a soul, then what you want to do is that you want to take on that, that who you are. You don't want to spend your life um, building up spirituality, and you don't want to spend your life building up the flesh, the body, because... Those were given to you, and but they don't belong to you. They're going to go back, one to the ground and the other to Yahweh. You have to increase the talent that you actually have, which is Yahweh's name, fame, glory, through your character, actions, works, and deeds. So just to summarize, what, what I'm concluding is the, the interest that, that you return back to the Father or the Master. The interest is those righteous character traits of Yahweh that we develop. I would say that that is similar. Yeah, I think these all tie together. And I wasn't going to get into that, but yeah, you've got it. Yeah. The question was, do they tie in with the fruits of the Spirit? Yes. Yes. Great. Well, Yahweh, we thank you so much, and we ask that you would continue to bring us more clarification, and we pray for the edification of the body of Yeshua, that we other would see the reality of what we face, and other the blessed hope of the resurrection in Yeshua the Messiah. Amen.